Many parents like the fact that their students choose to come to Westmont because it is a Christ-centered college. That's the good news. The bad news is it may be one of the most dangerous places for your spiritual growth. Now, why in the world would that be? All of our professors believe in Jesus Christ. Our faculty, our administration, our board of trustees, the board of trustees, I've seen them gather and be on their, literally on their knees praying for you students and for the vision of Westmont College. How could I say that this would possibly be one of the most dangerous places for you to be in terms of spiritual growth? I think it's true. Because it's all around you. It's in the air you breathe. It's in the classes. You pray before classes. You'll pray before spring sing. You'll, you'll be studying scripture and getting academic credit for reflecting on the scriptures academically. We even have courses on contemplative prayer and, and devotional literature. All of the professors work very hard to integrate their discipline with a worldview that holds Christ preeminent. People pray before meals in the D.C. The conversations often have prayer and conversation about prayer in them. And you could begin to think that maybe you're just sort of soaking it up by being here. And I've talked to many of you in the student body for the last 12 years who tell me that sometimes at Westmont your prayer life becomes very ineffective and sometimes your meditation and reflection on the scriptures becomes very weak need and flimsy. Sure, you're studying it for New Testament class. Sure, you're studying it for systematic theology. But that gives sometimes an excuse not to read it reflectively for your own life. Because after all, you did read 17 chapters of 1 Kings last night for Dr. Nelson. <laughs> I'm glad you read those 17 chapters. I'm glad you're reflecting on them academically. But I wouldn't be glad if that kept you from reading the scriptures also, along with, in a manner that you would say, what am I to be obedient to from this scripture today? I'd like to talk about two disciplines, prayer and the word. For the parents' sake, we've been studying discipleship this year. And in the second part of the year, this semester, we've been looking into the theme that a person who follows Jesus Christ and who produces a crop, according to Jesus, is a person who has a good and noble heart. That's the, one of the keys in, in the parable of the sower, where Jesus interprets it to his disciples and says, the person who produced the crop is a person with a good and a noble heart. And so we've been trying to think through this semester biblically. What would a person with a good and noble heart look like? And we've covered quite a range. We've, we've, we've discovered that, according to Jesus, a person with a good and noble heart would know their purpose in life, that the purpose is to love God. It's not even to do things for God. It's to love God himself for himself with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we've learned that a person with a good and noble heart will test their love for God by how they're doing loving their roommate or their parents, or their sister, or their brother, or their professor, or their student. Love your neighbors yourself. 
We've discovered that a person with a good and noble heart is a person who knows what the good news is. Who knows that the good news is a person. It's Jesus Christ himself. He was the one who captivated people. We've discovered that a person with a good and noble heart is a person who's growing in their ability to trust in Jesus Christ, to have faith in Jesus Christ. We've looked into the fact that a person with a good and noble heart will put Christ before self, Christ before others, and Christ before possessions. Those are all from the teachings of Jesus. And just recently, we looked into the fact that a person with a good and noble heart would have a vision bigger than herself or bigger than himself, as Jesus did. He said, I've come to set free the captives, a huge vision. And that a person with a good and noble heart would seek to be empowered by and led by the Holy Spirit. That's sort of a summary of the general theme since September that we've been exploring in chapel. And today I'd like to explore the two themes I've mentioned. That a person with a good and a noble heart who's developing that, who will produce a crop for the kingdom of God, will be a person of prayer and a person of the word. And I'd like to talk first about a person of prayer by telling a story from the Old Testament. From 1 Kings 17. And also for the parents' sake, we've been using art in uh, chapel all year long, masterpieces of art, and uh, using them to describe some biblical scenes. And uh, so we'll be doing that today. The story is this, Elijah was a prophet, and he was in a string of uh, kingdoms and kingships that was very evil. And he went to the king of the time, and he told him there would be a drought in the land, as I shared with the students just a few weeks ago. And that it would not cease until he, the prophet, prayed that God broke the drought. Now you have to realize that this evil king at the time was worshiping a God who claimed to be the God of nature. Who would bring the rain. So when, when Elijah said, it's not going to rain for three years because my God, who's the only God, will keep it from raining. It was a challenge to the God of, called Baal or Baal. And so, indeed, that happened. There was a famine on the land, and you know that Elijah went and he found the widow, and he stayed with the widow and her son, and, and they, she gave her very last bit of food to him, and he said, because of this, you'll never fail to have food, and God miraculously supplied the food for them. But then one day, something terrible happened. Her only son, she's already a widow, and in, in, in an ancient uh, civilization like this, and in, a, in an agrarian society, to, to be a widow was very difficult. And then you counted completely on your son. And if it was an only son, you counted on him absolutely. And her son, according to the Bible, got sick. And then he died. And she was distraught. And she came to, to Elijah and she said, Oh man of God, why have you done this? Why have you brought this on me? And he began to be sorrowful. And he worried about it. Could this have happened? And he, he got a little frustrated with God himself. Oh, man of God, she cried. First Kings chapter 17, verse 17. Oh, man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to punish my sins by killing my son? And Elijah replied, give him to me. 
And he took the boy's body from her and carried it upstairs to the guest room where he lived. It was a poignant scene. She's screaming and shrieking and wailing as they would mourn in that day. He inside is in inner turmoil as well. He lifts the lad up, carries him up the stairs to his own room and places him down on his own bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, why have you killed the son of this widow with whom I'm staying? Harsh words. He doesn't say, Why have you allowed it in your great sovereign will, O holy God? Why have you killed this lady's boy? I'm sure the boy had become like a son to Elijah himself. And then he did a strange thing. He stretched himself out on the body of the boy. In this scene, he's getting ready to do that. He stretched himself out and he laid, on the, bo- he laid the body on the bed and he stretched himself upon the child. And he prayed and he cried out to the Lord, Oh Lord my God, please let this child's spirit return to him. Can you picture it? This man stretched out in agony on the cold corpse of a young boy, praying out loud, hand to hand, face to face, body to body. Lord, let this boy's spirit come back into him. And nothing happened. The corpse stayed still. There was no breath. He got up from the boy, walked around a bit, I imagine. But it says he went back and he lay back down on top, hand to hand, face to face, body to body, and he prayed it a second time. Lord, let the boy's spirit come back into his body. And he waited to hear that heart start up. He waited to hear just a whiff of breath in the boy or feel a little bit of warmth return to his body. Nothing. (coughs) Nada. He got up. He walked around the room. Now, at that point, I don't think I would have... I might have prayed the first one. And when it didn't happen, I'm sure that I would have said... It's obviously not the Lord's will to heal this boy. I doubt if I would have had the nerve to get back and pray in this very humble way. But Elijah did and nothing happened the second time. And it says that Elijah went back a third time. Hand to hand, face to face, body to body. Lord, let this boy's spirit come back. And the Lord heard Elijah's prayer. And the spirit of the child returned. And he became alive again. Then Elijah took him downstairs and gave him to his mother. See, he's alive, Elijah beamed. And she told him afterwards, now I know for sure you are a prophet. And that whatever you say is from the Lord. Would you have prayed three times? Would you have even prayed the first time? Would you have tacked on if it's the Lord's will? 
I mean, that is a problem. Jesus did it in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? C.S. Lewis, in a wonderful reflection in a, in a book called Christian Reflections, in a, in a wonderful article called Petitionary Prayer, that is, prayer that's asking God for something, subtitle of his essay is, A Problem Without an Answer. And C.S. Lewis, in one of the most remarkable essays I've read on prayer, wrestles with this problem about petitionary prayer, where we're asking for something, where, where in one place we're told, if you ask in prayer believing, it will be given to you. And yet then we see the Lord Jesus Christ in Gethsemane saying, Father, let this cup pass, but not my will, but yours be done. And C.S. Lewis wrestles in this essay, I hope all of you will read it, he wrestles with it to try to figure out how can you put these two together. He comes to the conclusion that he doesn't know how you can put them together. He, he struggles with some of the possibilities, and he dismisses most of them. And all through it, you can hear him agonizing about his own desire to pray rightly. And he closes it this way. He's writing this essay for uh, pastors in his own Anglican tradition. At least that's the implication by his last line. And he says this, At present, I've gotten no further. He's come to the point where he says, I have no answer. And he says, at present, I've got no further than this. It's very disquieting. I come to you, reverend fathers, for guidance. How am I to pray this very night? He wrestled with it intellectually. He looked at all the arguments. He looked at the argument, well, maybe when people put their faith in Jesus to be healed, they were putting their faith in him as, as sort of a, a general way, not a specific way. But then he says, well, that's certainly true in these six cases, but here's six cases where they prayed for a specific thing or where Jesus told them, pray for a specific thing or where he said, pray in agreement with a few others for a specific thing it will be granted to you. And he holds them both up like this and says, how do we deal with this? Tell me. How do I pray this very night? He didn't resolve it in the essay. He did write another essay called The Efficacy of Prayer, that is, The Effectiveness of Prayer, where he dealt with the fact that even when we don't have it figured out, we still need to pray. Why? Because Jesus did. Because Jesus commanded us to. What kind of prayer life do you have? Are you practicing? You know, when lawyers and doctors get their degree, they open up a practice. That, you know... When you're going in for brain surgery, I'm not sure that's comforting to know that this person is practicing. I, yeah, I wish they'd do that in school and then, you know, just get on with it. But it's a good idea. They're always practicing medicine. They're always learning. Are you always learning about prayer? You parents? Do you know more about prayer? Are you finding that you're more effective in prayer? You're more delighted with prayer? Even though you may be wrestling with a theology of prayer still, certainly C.S. Lewis was up to his death, I still am. I decided, as I've shared with students, I think it was last year, about three or four years ago, to, I realized how weak my prayer life was for petitionary prayer, for asking for things. And so I began to do what a friend of mine had been doing for 40 years. I began to keep a list of every prayer that I prayed that I thought I could tell whether this was answered by God or not. So I limited it to those kinds of prayers where you could say this was answered, yes, 
or it wasn't answered, or it was answered in this way. And I just decided to keep track of them. And I've been doing that for about four years uh, with, with uh, some sloughing off here and there. But... And I've been astounded. It's built my faith in petitionary prayer tremendously. I still don't understand it quite. I'm still reading the authors on it. I'm still meditating. I'm still talking to colleagues here about it. I'm still trying to figure it out. But you know what I'm finding out? There's a lot of check marks answered on such and such a date in such and such a way, pending for three years, answered three years later. Hundreds now. And I'm finding my faith growing from fairly puny three years ago in terms of petitionary prayer to a little more robust. However, not completely robust. Because just last week, when we were two weeks ago and we were in Guatemala, we were with somebody who really prays with faith. And we saw her. I told you about Doña Mary, the students, this Guatemalan woman who's like walking with Mother Teresa, and we spent six days with she and her husband, and she prays for everything all the time. And it's phenomenal to see what happens. We were so deeply moved by the answers we saw. She wouldn't just be by the side of the bed. This is probably all the further I would get. She would be like Elijah, stretched out and praying. And by golly, we saw lots happen. So the last night we were there, my wife said, I want to pray like Dona Mary prays. I said, great, that's a tremendous idea. Let's work on that. She says, no, I mean right now. Well, and I said, well, about what? And she says, well, we're trying to get on the airplane tomorrow, and we're flying on passes. My sister-in-law is a, is a flight attendant, so we're on standby. I'd already called, and they told me the flight's full. You're probably not going to get on. She says, let's pray we'll get on. I'm like, well, couldn't we discuss this a little? You know, I mean, you know, what if God doesn't want us to get on, honey? And, you know, maybe he's got a plan. She says, no, no, that's not the way Doña Mary would do it. She'd pray for it, put it in its hands, and let go of it. So she says, in fact, let's pray we get on first class just to really test this thing. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I, Linda, that's selfish. You know, that, you're not supposed to pray selfish prayers. And she said, well, you know, Doña Mary tells us that, you know, he's a loving father and he delights to give good gifts. Actually, Jesus says that, and Doña Mary was reminding us of it. She said, let's just do it. I said, I can't do it. I said, I, I can go so far as to pray we'll get on the flight. And she gave me one of those looks like, all right, I'm going to pray we get in first class. <laughs> so she says, so I had to go list us on the flight. I had to call in. And so they said, do you want to be listed in first class or coach? I didn't know I had to answer that question. And I'm, on, I'm scrambling. It's in Spanish, too, so I'm trying to work on that. And, and I'm thinking, well, if I say first class and there's only a couple seats, but there's one in coach, maybe they won't let us on. So I said, coach. And I went back home, told my wife. She says, you have little faith. <laughs> you know, and I'm going, Linda, no, I'm not sure. So we go to the airport. We check in. They've already told us the flight's full. We're probably not going to get on, but come down and try. We get to the thing. We say to him, well, how's the flight looking? He says, boy, it's kind of odd. There's a lot of room on this flight. It was booked full last night. There's been a lot of cancellations. He says, okay, we've got you. You're listed in coach. And my wife, to my great embarrassment, says, how's first class looking? And, I'm, and he goes, oh, well, let's see here. He says, well, I'll give you a pre-boarding pass in first class, and maybe it'll work out. And she's going, ah, you know. 
And I'm thinking, this is, oh, I can't believe this. So we go down to the gate, we're waiting. Everybody else is loaded on except the 20 or so of us on standby. I'm thinking, gee, I hope we still get on because we really don't have a boarding pass. We got this pre-boarding class. And sure enough, it does say first class on it. They're calling out the names. I'm waiting, hoping for our name. Linda's name comes up. My name comes up. We get our boarding pass. Oh, we're going to get home. You know, we're walking on. I said, well, what, what seat did you get? She pulls her boarding pass out. She goes... 1B, first row, first class, aisle seat, best seat other than the pilots. <laughs> and I'm thinking, isn't the Lord good, you know? And I've got the window seat. I mean, that's great that he gave her the aisle seat. I look at my card, coach. <laughs> <laughs> Honest truth. Honest truth. Honest truth. She says, in a gracious way, she says, I'm actually surprised you even got on the plane. <laughs> so from then on, we called it faith class rather than first class. Every once in a while, I'd sneak past the curtain and go up and see her eating her filet mignon. And, you know, she deigned to come back and visit me once on the trip, you know. Well, it's a trite thing. It's a silly thing. I don't get it theologically. But she was practicing her faith. The issue wasn't riding in first class for her. The issue was, I'm going to pray in faith. I'm going to take whatever God gives. With a big smile, as Mother Teresa says, I'll, I'll accept whatever he, he gives, and I'll give whatever he takes, and I'll have a big smile. She was practicing. Are you still practicing? I'm going to give you something to practice on this morning. I'm going to give you a prayer for us to practice on. Last year at this time, one week later, actually, at Spring Sing, you know that one of our students was paralyzed in a tragic accident practicing for Spring Sing, Patrick Steele. He was paralyzed, and it looked as though he would be a complete quadriplegic the rest of his life with maybe just a little bit of movement in his bicep. And uh, I talked to him yesterday. Mary Given uh, made the suggestion, a fine suggestion, that we honor him today by praying for him as we move into spring sing. So at her suggestion, I called him to see if he agreed with that, which he did, and, and he gave me an update. And uh, he's not a complete quadriplegic. He's improving. He's in good spirits. He said to, first of all, thank all of you for all the prayers. And he said, I can't explain it, Bart, but I can feel them. I can feel the prayers. They help. And he said, my healing's not over. They told me it would be complete after a certain amount of time, but I've continued to get more muscle tone. I now have muscles partial tricep use, which is very important because as the triceps come back, you can use a wheelchair, a manual wheelchair, which makes a huge difference. It's actually more important than getting the feeling back in your fingers and hands. And so he's now able to move, at least in certain ways, he's working on it in a, in, a, in a manual wheelchair, which he thought he would never do. He said, Bart, that's an answer to prayer. And he said, ask the friends to pray that the muscle would come back completely in my tricep. And ask them to pray. He said, I'm still praying for a complete healing. He said, I'm still trusting God for a complete healing. And if you'll ask those who will trust him with me to pray that way, I'd appreciate it. He said, you can tell him to thank God for some of the emotional healing. 
and some of the spiritual healing that's taken place. But you could ask them also to pray. He said it's hard not to get afraid of the future or depressed by it. And it's hard not to dwell on the past. And when I make the most progress spiritually and emotionally is when I stay focused on the present. And I said to him, Patrick, I think that's probably true for all of us. Whether we're able-bodied, fully able-bodied, or whether we have a physical challenge. And he said, yeah, but I, would you just ask him to pray that I can live in the present? So I'd like for us to take a moment right now and pray for him. I'm going to let several of you pray out loud, if you will. If you don't, that's fine, too. We'll pray silently. And we'll practice together. Father, we thank you for Patrick. We thank you for the tremendous endurance that you've given him. And we thank you that you have been healing him. And Father, I want to place my voice with his and just simply ask as one of your sons for a complete healing of Patrick Steele. Trust you as we prayed for that complete healing as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So my message today is to keep practicing in prayer. In the second half of the message, I'm going to not preach, but we're going to sing about, and that is the message that we saturate our lives with the Word of God. And I'm only going to say two things about it. One, I've never met a person deep in Christ who is not saturated with the Word of God. Never. Not once. I have met people saturated with the Word of God who are not saints, who are like the Pharisees. So apparently studying the Bible and knowing it well does not immediately usher in sanctity, holiness, Christ-likeness. But the converse, if you don't read the Bible, if you're not meditating on it day and night, if you're not careful to do according to all that is written in it, it is a guarantee of a superficial life in Christ. And so I want to encourage you, students, parents, professors, do not neglect the Word. It is a lamp to your feet. And let's be instructed by the words of the songs which we're going to sing.
Now may the power of God Almighty, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the comfort and the encouragement and the guidance of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.